So we're wrapping up our First World Problems sermon series this morning, talking about Jesus' solutions to suburban struggles. And we've, we've covered a lot of ground over the last several weeks, uh, talking about stress and comparison and grief and loneliness and anxiety. And, and today we're talking about entitlement. And all of these problems that we've talked about are, are destructive problems, but of the suburban struggles... I would argue that entitlement is the most destructive because it's the one that we're least likely to own. It's the one that we are least likely to admit is a struggle we're experiencing. Most people are more than willing to tell you how stressed they are. In honest moments, they'll acknowledge that the tendency that they have to compare themselves to others. When they're experiencing grief or feeling alone in life, the intensity of that is impossible for most people to ignore. And anxiousness not only has emotional manifestations, but also physical ones. But rarely are you going to be talking to someone and ask them how they're doing and have them say, you know, I'm feeling really entitled today. Like the world really owes me something. Right? Like, no one's going to say that out loud, right? No one's going to acknowledge that. And, and a lot of talk about it, this idea of entitlement is focused on generational differences. So raise, raise your hand if you've ever heard someone complain about millennials being entitled, right? You've ever, you've ever heard that before? So, so some generations, typically the, the boomer generation, Gen Xers look at millennials and Gen Zers, oh, you're so entitled, and then the millennials and Gen Zers will shoot right back, well, who do you think raised us that way, right? Like, this didn't all just happen by accident. And so back and forth they go. And then the silent generation who predates them all just shakes their heads and say, is this the world we're leaving? This, this is what we're leaving the world to? Uh, they don't say it out loud because they're the silent generation. They just shake their heads and, and, and mutter and they're frustrated. Now, now, by the way, I don't really buy into these generational stereotypes, because I know some super entitled boomers, nobody in this room, I promise you, but I also know some millennials and Gen Zers who work harder than anyone that I've ever met. So I, I, I think it's more about mindset than it is about what your birth year is. And, and the reality is most of us are entitled, feel entitled in some way because we all have these expectations for our lives. And, and when we feel like we don't get what we believe we were owed because of what we put into life, we feel entitled and we feel bitter. And we, we feel this way because we live in a world that operates based on transaction. I do this, I get that. I put in the work, I get the reward. I add value and because I add value, I should expect some return for that value. That life should be fair. No matter how many of us have had to have the conversation with kids when they say that it's not fair, and we say, well, life isn't fair, right? How many of you said that, right? Raise your hands, raise them high. Yep, all the time. It never works, by the way. Like, that's never a persuasive argument, uh, at least not in, in my household. When we say that life isn't fair... What we're really saying is that we did not get what we believe we deserve. 
And when our reality doesn't live up to our expectations, instead of looking at ourselves and what we can learn, we blame the reality, right? The quality of life in a world that operates by a transaction will always be viewed through the lens of what we think we are entitled to. But the kingdom of heaven does not work that way. And our gospel reading for today dispels any notion that God is concerned with our idea of fairness. Jesus begins with the words, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when you see those words in scripture, that's, that's a sign to pay attention because Jesus is about to tell you how it actually is. Not how you might think it is or I might think it is, not how we might want it to be, how it actually is. He lays it out plain as day. So an owner of a vineyard goes searching for workers, and he starts and he goes out at 6 a.m. And, and you can imagine there's they're out in the public square, there are day laborers just waiting for somebody to come and select them. And so he goes out to the vineyard, he grabs some guys, tells them, Hey, come work for me, I'll pay you one day's wages. Come on back, let's go. And then he goes back at nine o'clock and at noon and at three o'clock, and he does the same thing come work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what I think is right. Then he goes back at 5 o'clock. The workday in, in Jesus' day ended at 6. So he's only got one hour with these guys he's about to grab. But he offers them work pay, to pay them for what he thinks is right. And they join them in the vineyard for an hour. And then he does something interesting that feels like not, not a great choice. Like if I'm a manager and I'm trying to keep the peace and I'm, and I'm trying to, to keep my workers at least somewhat happy, this is not how I would go about compensating people for the day. He, he pays the workers in order of who started last. So he pays the five o'clock crew, then the three o'clock crew, then the 9 a.m. crew, and then finally those who had been there all day. And he does it basically in view of everyone. And the guys who'd been there all day, they're getting pretty excited because they had only been promised one denarian, one day's wages, but they, they see the manager going out and giving that to everybody else, and they're thinking, oh, payday, right? Time to make it rain. This is going to be awesome. Their expectations for what they might receive go up, even though they, they were, they'd agreed to the compensation. They were expecting more because they had worked more. And that's not an unreasonable expectation, right? Like, we tend to expect that. When we put in more work, we expect more in return. And so when they're paid the same as everyone else, they're, they're mad. I mean, this is, there's like a full-on, you know, um, strike or something about to happen because they're really upset. To which the owner reminds them whose vineyard it is, whose money it is, and what they had agreed to. What Jesus is communicating is that the relationship that you and I have with God is not one in which we give to get. It's not one in which we put in the work and are therefore entitled to some spiritual or material reward. It's a relationship in which God seeks us out, offers us that which we need the most, not always what we want the most, 
but what we need the most before we've done anything to deserve it. And God gives us a place in God's kingdom, and that place changes our lives. The world operates based on transaction. The kingdom of heaven operates based on transformation. In the kingdom of heaven, all of your earthly success, your vocational achievement, your material possessions, even your religious devotion do not earn you anything from God. Just as the vineyard owner in the parable who did not pay based on the number of hours worked, Jesus does not apportion out grace based on anything that you have done. Nothing about how you live your life entitles you to anything more from God. And why is that? Because there's nothing more for God to give than what God has already provided us. Paul writes this in in Romans chapter 5. He says, While we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. But God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were still sinners, while we were self-centered, while we felt like we were owed something, Jesus died for us. Not because we were entitled to Jesus' death for us. If, If anything, we had a debt to pay to God. There are so many ways that you and I fall short for God's intention for humanity. And we can sort of try to gloss it over and pretend like we're fine and pretend like we're doing great. But you and I both know what's really going on in us when we look in the mirror. You and I both know what's really going on with us when we lie in bed at night. You and I both know when we're honest with ourselves that we are both beautiful in the eyes of God and yet broken by the world, by our choices, by our failings. Both are simultaneously true. And yet God, in God's grace, chose to take action, to reconcile the relationship that humanity would have with God and with one another, fulfilling the law perfectly in ways that you and I never could, and taking our place in death so that we might have eternal life. And that's what you and I have been given. Eternal life. Not just up in heaven floating around on a cloud somewhere playing a harp, but life as it was intended. Life that we were created for. And it doesn't just begin at some point in the future, but it begins in the here and the now. Everything God intends for you and for I is available to you and I in Christ. God holds nothing back. Now, that doesn't mean our lives are perfect because we know that's not true. But we live in a world that's messed up. 
and we make messed up choices. And that's why our lives are messed up. And yet God steps into our lives to forgive us, to save us, to heal us, to show us mercy, and to offer us a totally different and far better way. Eternity in right relationship with the God of the universe, God's favor, God's blessing, God's love, God's guidance, God's provision. We aren't entitled to it at all. And yet God gives it freely. And God chose to do that before you and I were ever born. God decided this for us. And we are transformed into entirely different people because of that relationship. We are given an entirely new life. And in that life, God works through us to bring transformation to the world. It's kind of hard to feel entitled when you hear that, right? It's kind of hard to hold on to bitterness and resentment for that which you did not get that you expected should be yours when you realize just how broken and messed up things are and yet just how good God has been to you. Because as soon as you realize the power of God's love, the depths of God's grace, and all that God has done in your life that you did not deserve, there's no room for entitlement. There's no space in your heart for it anymore. The only response can be one of gratitude. And not just gratitude in, in sort of this, this vague spiritual way that we wake up in the morning and we're, we're just grateful, which is, is a good thing, but gratitude expressed in action. Because once we realize all that God has given us, we begin to grow a, a desire to give that away and for other people to experience the gifts of God as well. But the vineyard workers who started the beginning of the day forgot is that if it was not for the vineyard worker or the vineyard owner, if it was not for the vineyard owner, they would have been in the same spot that those who were standing around at five o'clock, who no one had chosen, were in. Jesus' main point here was to highlight that it was grace that the vineyard owner was offering. Just that it is grace that God is offering. And with grace comes the fullness of everything that God has to offer. You cannot be entitled to anything more from God because God does not have anything more to give than God already wants you to receive. So this Thanksgiving Sunday and this Christ the King Sunday, for what do you give thanks? For what do you show gratitude? Are you grateful for God's activity in your life, God's saving grace, God's all-encompassing mercy, God's unending provision, 
the transformational power of Jesus at work in your life. Are you grateful for that? Are you even aware of all that is happening in your life through the work of God? Do you recognize it as God's activity? Or do you see it as something in your life to which you feel entitled? And as you look to life and to God thinking that you deserve more. My hope for you today on this Thanksgiving Sunday is that you will view your life not through the lens of transaction, but through the lens of transformation, through the lens of God's love and activity in your life, and that you will see all the good things in your life life as signs of God's grace, of God's presence that you could never earn or deserve when you are full of gratitude for God's transformational grace. There isn't any room left for feeling entitled. And that is why gratitude is the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of entitlement. Would you rise? And I invite you in the next few moments to consider these questions. What are feelings of entitlement? Where are feelings of entitlement showing up for you? And what undeserved blessings from God are you most grateful for? So take a moment, consider that, Offer that up as a prayer of thanksgiving to God, and then I'll close the sermon in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, all the ways that you work in our lives, the ways that we are aware of, the ways that we do not see, either because it's just not been revealed to us or because we haven't been looking. Lord, convict us of, of that which we feel entitled to and the bitterness that we may hold because we've not received it. Lord, the brokenness of the world was not your plan, and so you are not at fault for that. And so we come to you asking for your grace, which covers all sin, which covers all failing, which covers every hurt, which wipes away every tear. Lord, help us to know the power of your love, the depths of your mercy, And that knowledge would fill us so full with gratitude that there wouldn't be room for anything 
else. We give you thanks for this opportunity to worship, the chance to worship you every Sunday, the chance to engage with you during the week in our daily lives. Lord, those are things we so easily take for granted, and yet they are great gifts. We thank you for this family of faith that you've called together to be a witness in this community. Lord, flow through us and out into the world that others might come to know just how great you are and how gracious you are and how good you are, that their lives may be filled with gratitude as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.